in the New Testament. Uh, we've been in this for, I think, six weeks now. We started at the uh, beginning of October, end of September, somewhere in there. And um, I know, if, at least for me, it's been encouraging. I hope it's been encouraging for you as well. Uh, before we get into this last part, let's pray and just ask that God would speak to our hearts in this. God, we love you and we praise you. Is We're grateful for the fact that we can gather together in community, whether it's sitting in the pews or sitting at home watching on a screen. We're just grateful that we can be together. We can know that we're in your presence. We can worship you. We can be encouraged by you. We can hear from you. And God, I pray that you would speak to us now so that you would be the one speaking through your word, that you would be the one penetrating our hearts and minds. I pray that you would encourage and challenge us. God, help us to see our lives in light of who you are. Help us to see this community in light of what you're doing and our place within it. And we are just so grateful for the God that you are. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I have seen quite a few concerts in my life. I am a big concert person. I love going to concerts, love live music and everything. And this past Wednesday, I went and saw Bob Dylan in concert. I went by myself um, because my wife had no interest in seeing Bob Dylan and my stepdad, just from his heart surgery, wasn't able to go. And Bob Dylan is 80. So the idea of I could go see Bob Dylan by myself or I could wait but who knows if he's going to be back around. And so I went by myself, and it was awesome. Um, but writing about his newest album, Scott Rickner says this, Dylan's latest album is probably the most personally revealing and self-reflective of his dozens of studio albums. But somewhat predictably, it ends up leaving more questions than answers. Now, I know that in this room, most are not Bob Dylan fans. And I also regrettably acknowledge much to my heartbreak, that some of you might not even know who Bob Dylan is. And so that's very sad. Um, so my prayers. Um, but there is, very something, there is something very special and unique about this idea of his newest album, is that you have this 80-year-old cultural icon. His first album came out in the early, mid-60s. And his latest album came out in 2020. All that he has seen, all that he's been a part of, the experiences that he's had, and be, uh, he won the 2016 award for, in literature, the Nobel Prize in Literature, as they describe, for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. And here he writes 10 new songs, spreading the gamut of looking back, being introspective, and commenting on even our current reality. Regardless if you're a fan or not, man, what does that guy have to say? What is he saying about his experiences and the things that he's seen and just life as from his perspective of it? Now, the reason why I bring this up isn't to talk Dylan, even though if you want to afterwards, come and see me. But 2 Timothy is really that type of letter. Paul is not 80, but he is in the final season of his life. In fact, he knows his death is imminent. He's going to talk about it in the passage we're looking at today. He's going to be executed soon for his faith. And his final letter isn't to the largest church that he knows. It's not to the church that gave him the most support. It's not to any community. It's to this one young man that he has poured so much into 
that he, his protege, wanting to speak into his life and knowing the trials that Timothy is going through, the hard times that he's experiencing, the difficulties that he's been navigating, and the fact that he wants to give up, Paul is writing to him to encourage him and challenge him. Throughout this entire letter, we've seen that Paul has told Timothy to remember, remember, don't forget, remember. And he's reminded him about how God has worked in his life. He's reminded him about how he's learned the scriptures from an early age. He's reminded him of, remember what you've seen in me. Remember what you've seen in your family. Paul's reminded Timothy to guard his heart, to guard his mind. And again and again, he's encouraged Timothy, keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. And here at the end, famous last words, so to speak, Paul gives Timothy his final encouragement, his final charge to his young charge. And this young man in what he was going through needed to hear it. And regardless of how old we are or young we are in this room, we need to hear it as well. Think about, I don't know the specific thing you're experiencing right now, but whether it's relationship stuff, college stuff, career stuff, what's the future hold, dealing with family, dealing with parents, dealing with kids, whatever the thing is that we experience or that weighs on us, good or bad, to have somebody that's been down the road, that's had experienced life, that has experienced a ton of life, to be able to come under them and say, can you just, what do you think? What's your experience? What's been the big thing for you? To be able to sit and talk to somebody with that much wisdom and experience is a gift, isn't it? It's rare, but it's a gift. And here Paul's speaking into Timothy, and we get to hear it. And the thing that you're going through, it applies to you as well. This, well these final words of Paul are a lighthouse, a, a, a single light that is shining through the darkness of stress and responsibility, of challenges and trials to guide us on how to keep going. And it can be summed up with this one idea. To, for Christ follower, you need to be a legacy for Jesus one faithful day at a time. Be a legacy for Jesus one faithful day at a time. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. He's giving Timothy this commission, marching orders, so to speak. To do what? To preach the word. To talk about Jesus. To proclaim Jesus. To make Jesus known. He is somebody who is going to be able to teaching people and talk to people and proclaim the reality of Jesus. But here's the important thing that we need to understand about what Paul is saying to Timothy is yes, he's charging Timothy to communicate things with his mouth, but if you connect this to the rest of the letter and the rest of Tim Paul's letters, this goes beyond just what does Paul come out, what comes out of Timothy's mouth in a sermon, but what comes out of Timothy's life at all time. He isn't giving Timothy merely a checkbox task to complete, but a description of how to live. He isn't giving Timothy something that he can schedule to do, 
but something that happens every minute of his life. What Timothy was specifically called to do to minister in, we are also called to do. To live and to be proclamations, ambassadors, salt and light of Jesus. Paul says in Romans, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Time and time again, Paul uses this language that your life should proclaim Jesus. So what he is telling Timothy, you preach the word. That implications of that for all of us is, is your life preaching the word? Does my life proclaim him? So we have to ask that. We have to be honest about that basic thing. Do we periodically contain the gospel or are we constantly defined by it? Do you periodically talk about Jesus or is he everything about your life? Is my life daily characterized as one that is a living message of the gospel, a constant message of the gospel, a restorative expression of the gospel? Because the reality is, is that when we compartmentalize things, we drastically miss the point. To follow Jesus is not to have something going on one hour on Sunday. It's to take on a new identity, a new life, a new being. Who I was dies and who he creates is now new and it defines every breath of our lives. And it makes us think through, we have to be really careful about why we do the things that we do and how we go about doing the things that we do. For someone to say, I want to be the best I can, I want to leave a legacy, I want to leave a legacy for my family, for the world, that sounds really, really good, but what does that mean? And what are your motives? I have to ask myself, am I acquiring stuff to just pass on? Am I trying to establish a safety net just to exist in and then pass on? Or am I trying to make Jesus known with everything I have? and everything that I am? Am I building a safety net for my life and family, or am I surrendered to following Jesus wherever and whatever that looks like? Do I want people to remember me, or do I want people to know him? Do I want my kids, my family, those who are going to come beyond me to be safe and provided for, or do I want them to know what life is all about? And so we must be legacies for Jesus, but we have to think through the reality that in a world of self-promotion, big bonuses, promotional fast tracks, and branding, what Paul tells us is counter-cultural. Everything that I've been saying is not the norm. Everything that I've been saying, people at your workplace, your family, people in your uh, career, whatever that track is, We'll look at you, and if you say, but that's not what's most important, we'll look at you like you're crazy. And God will look at you thinking you're faithful. You're doing what matters most. 
You're letting the reality of who Jesus is come through you to be shared with others. At the end of my days, who will, who will my life have pointed to? That's the question we have to ask. At the end of my days, thank you, who will my life have pointed to? Is it going to point to me? Is it going to point to a political party? Is it going to point to some other group, some other cause? Or is it going to ultimately point to Jesus? Because if it's not, I'm leaving the wrong legacy. And the truth is, is that everybody in here is going to leave some type of legacy. You're going to do, leave something. Your life is going to ripple effect into the future after you're gone, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. But we have to make the decision to be determined as far as what kind of a legacy we are leaving. And if we are followers of Jesus, that legacy is, I want my life to point to him. If no one ever remembers my name after I'm gone, but they know Jesus better, then I've done what I'm supposed to do. And that is countercultural to a modern Christianity. We have to be people who want Jesus to be known through our lives. And that happens one day at a time. He says in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. When Paul says a time is coming, it's really hard not to think that we are in that time. When he, how he describes this time that's coming describes how our culture works and operates. People will begin to reject sound teaching, will reject truth, will reject the reality of God. Instead, people will take whatever suits them, whatever fits in with their persona that they are building for themselves rather than embracing the life which God offers and gives. N.T. Wright talks about this in this way. He's, he describes it like this. People like people being instructed by doctors to follow a particular diet, they will discover that half of their favorite foods aren't on it. And so we'll look for different doctors who will advise them to eat and drink what they like. In some parts of the Western world, there are people who go from church to church trying to find preachers who will tell them what their ears are longing for, that they are all right as they are, that they don't need to learn anything more, that they don't have to change their behavior or obey all those rules. And perhaps in particular, they didn't believe all that old stuff about Jesus, all those stories you find in the Gospels, because there are different stories, different Gospels, other ways of looking at Jesus and the world. That is what people often want to hear, and they'll go on looking till they find it. I'm going to go into the place that will, will just allow me to do whatever I want and never convict, never challenge. And again, not, not that we're trying to be in a situation where we're getting beat up or shamed or anything like that, but are we trying to become like Jesus? Are we wanting Jesus to be known? And part of that is to acknowledge the ways that we're not like Jesus or to acknowledge the ways that our culture is not like Jesus in every aspect that it is and make sure that we're being faithful to he, who he is and not what we see around us. 
And so Paul is saying is rather than finding the place that isn't going to do that, that's just going to be all on this general idea of Jesus, but never what faithfulness looks like, we need to be in a place, we need to be longing for a place that's going to tell us you need to get your life in order so that you are being faithful to the calling you've been given. You are avoid the garbage of just buffet thinking, take whatever's nice, reject the difficult stuff. We have to remove that idea and says we have to have the opposite attitude. We have to have so be sober-minded to think, evaluate, maintain control, have mental and spiritual alertness. We have to endure suffering. Having healthy expectations, there are going to be difficulties, there are going to be hard times in life, We've talked about that in this series. Life is going to be really hard at times. But within that, we carry on. We keep pushing. We have tenacity. That we do evangelistic work. That, yes, my life should be showing the reality of Jesus, but I also should be talking about him. Are there people in my life that I am telling about Jesus? Not that I'm harping on them, not that I'm coming in their midst, setting up a soapbox, getting up and just preaching at them for half an hour, but that I'm coming to people and saying, here's how Jesus has changed my life. Here's who I was, here's what he's done, and here's who I am now. And proclaiming and giving testimony to that reality. He says, fulfill your ministry. God has gifted every one of his followers with spirit-empowered gifts to be part of community, to be part of the church, of spreading not only the gospel within this place, but most importantly, outside of this place. That we grow in the reality of the gospel and that we share the gospel as we're not here. We are to fulfill our ministry. When you see these four things that Paul mentions, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do evangelistic work, fulfill your ministry, that happens daily. To wake up and say, I'm going to be this person today and do that every day is what creates a legacy for Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You can make however many 5, 10, 20-year plans that you want, make the mission statement, all of those things, but you still have to get up in the morning and live. And what Paul is saying is that every day, every day, I get up and I say, this is about him. This is about him. And I'm going to make him known. And I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to endure hardship. I'm going to proclaim Jesus and I'm going to use the gifts he's given me. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do that tomorrow. The day I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it anyway. The day where it's really, really hard, I'm going to get people to help me or care about me and encourage me. But I'm going to keep doing it. And day after day, day after day, a legacy for Jesus is built. Now you hear this and it's like, wait, wait, I thought like we were going to get the really good advice, practical stuff from the old guy who like has all these journeys. And man, I'm really struggling with this at home. I'm at this point in the semester. I'm trying to figure out the next three months. How do I deal with my finances? How do I manage this with this, all these topics that are going on? What does it look like to honor Jesus in that? Because that is the unfortunate disconnect that we have. 
This idea of I need to live a life that proclaims and leaves a legacy of Jesus. I need to have, be sober-minded. I need to be endure suffering, do the work of evangelism, for ministry. I get that, but then there's my life, my family, my work, my relationships. How do I navigate that? You have to bring them together. This stuff about being this type of a person means being this type of a person in life. And so what does it look like to proclaim Jesus in how you handle that conflict and how you manage your finances and how you navigate your relationships and how you do your schooling and how you do your work and how you handle marriage and how you handle singleness? What does it look like to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do evangelistic work and fulfill your ministry in that? Because when you live life in light of Jesus, then your life will be a legacy of Jesus. And that's what we have to be about. Be a legacy for Jesus, one faithful day at a time. And then Paul really kind of pushes it in, lands the plane, sticks it, however you want to kind of take it in this next part, because this is the really, really challenging thing. He basically says you can't decide to finish well at the end of your story. You can't make the decision to finish well at the end because by then, you're finishing. (laughs) And so you have to make that decision now. He says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul gives Timothy a picture of worship and a picture of camping here. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. His life has been one of worship. Paul has been the example of Romans 12.1. Let your lives be lives of sacrificial worship, where every moment of your life is a song of Jesus. But then he says, my time of departure has come. It's literally the language here is the idea of breaking camp. If you've ever gone camping and just all of that's involved in there, whether it's good or bad, it rained or not, mosquitoes or how many, whatever, at the end of the camping trip, you have to break down camp. Take down the tent. Put everything away. And that's basically what Paul is saying. I'm at the end. It's time for me to break camp. And this isn't Paul saying, I'm checking out, retiring, and then living cush for like however many years. This is Paul saying, I'm about to die. It could happen any day. But then he talks about his life, reflecting on what, how he has lived to Timothy, and he gives Timothy a template. You know, like if you've ever had to write a paper or put together um, a cover letter or anything like that, it's like, oh my goodness, how do you do this? Download cover letter templates. See, the, who's the, come on, be honest, who's done it? Who's searched online for a template for something? If you haven't, you'll have to at some point. How do, what is the way that this is structured? How do you go about doing this? What Paul is giving Timothy right now is a t- template for the Christian life. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith, and earn the crown. Fight the good fight. Put in the effort. 
regardless of what it is, regardless of how difficult it is, do what needs to be done. Live the best, most amazing, noblest, grandest life possible following Jesus. Be proactive, be faithful. To live the Christian life is to not live a boring life. If you look at Christians and their lives seem boring, it's not because Jesus is boring, it's because they are. The life of following Jesus should be the most grandest adventure there is. It's just that we see so many Christians who aren't living it that it misrepresents the reality of it. And Paul is saying, this is a life worth fighting for. This is a life worth doing. And he was all in. I have fought the good fight. I have done what's necessary. Finish the race. He continued every step of the go- his gospel life. Even when he wanted to quit, mile 19 on the 26-mile course, when it's like, oh my goodness, the cramps, the difficulties, the tiredness, the pain, and he kept going. He kept the faith, not being discredited, not compromising, not taking moral shortcuts, but doing what needed to be done, even if it was a small thing that no one would know about. Earning the crown. N.T. Wright says that Paul lived his life with the clock ticking in the background. This idea of a sense of urgency, but also of an eternal perspective taking the final judgment serious and wanting to be able to stand before God and hearing, well done. Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you need to go about who you are. Now remember, Timothy's in the midst of some really difficult things, some really trying things, some really ready-to-quit type things. And what Paul is saying is, how does a person who fights the good fight, finishes the race, keeps the faith, and earns the crown, how would that look in what you're going through? And rather allowing the situation to dictate who we are, allowing our identity in Christ and what that means to dictate how we go through the circumstances. And hence Paul says, don't give up. Keep going. Fight the fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith and earn the crown. Man, if you wanted to have anything in a prominent place to remind you of who you are and how to go about life, it would be those four phrases right there. Fight the fight. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith, and earn the crown. The thing about what Paul is sharing here is that your life will only be described like this at the end as if you intentionally live this way throughout it. You cannot have your life described this way at the end of your life if you are not making the decision to be like this now. And that's going to land differently based on where you're at in life right now. I think about the high schoolers I worked with when I was a youth pastor and just trying to talk to them about the reality of where they were and the idea of right now, I can see the day ahead of me, the moment ahead of me. This is fun. I I don't want to think about that stuff, old person. But the reality is, is how do you get somebody to realize, you know what, there's more than just the pleasure of the moment, but there's who you are and who you are becoming. When you're in your 20s right now and the grandiose reality of how our country communicates what success looks like, to think through that a little bit and let's not make decisions and life decisions and routes based on the bottom dollar or how much I'll make or how much retirement will look like, But what does it look like to be the person God's made me to be? 
When you're in the middle of a season, whether you're 20s, 30s, 40s, or whatever, where it's just crazy and hectic and decisions are to be made and what are we going to do and what's the next step to make those decisions based on how do I do this faithfully to who I am in Jesus and not I'm going to move here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take this because I can do the Jesus thing anywhere. Jesus is not meant to be the thing that gets carried along with your life. He's to be the guiding reality of your life. He is not to be the add-on commodity. He's to be the thing that you make your decisions based on. And that's the challenge of this demographic in America, is you can do Jesus anywhere. And you have to reject that American way of thinking. What does it look like for you to be faithful to how Jesus has made you? And then let that guide your decisions. Let that guide what you do. Let that guide where you live, what you work, whatever that might be, who you're with. Because Jesus was never meant to be an accessory to your life. He is to be the thing that you are passionately obsessed with in your life. We are called to live a legacy for Jesus one faithful day at a time. And you can't decide to finish well at the end of your story. These are, Timothy, these are Paul's final words to Timothy. He had one like last charge. Not, I mean, they're going to see each other hopefully maybe after this. But if this was all that he ever heard from Paul again, this was the thing he wanted him to hear. And I think that's pretty important for us to hear as well. Within the difficulty of what we've uh, the last couple of years within this pandemic, within the polarization of our country based on politics and the pandemic and everything else, we have forgotten our first love and that Jesus is our guiding not only principle but our Savior and our Lord, and that means we follow Him and no one else. He is first. And so this should be the reminder. This should be the re- help us to refocus to evaluate and to then live based on our identity in him and not something else. You are called to live a legacy for Jesus. And if you're in here and it's, I was just checking this Jesus thing out, calm down. You know, I want you to think about this is that Paul is saying that with the life that he lives, the life that he's going through, nothing compared to Jesus. In fact, in another one of his letters, he says everything else was garbage compared to knowing him. And, and to put it into perspective, Paul at the time would be one of the most well-known, most well-respected, most successful, had everything, had everything going for him. And the person parents would say, you need to be more like that guy. And he's saying, you know what, from a perspective of how the world works, this is all, this is all garbage, dung heap compared to knowing Jesus. And the reality is is that everything that your heart is longing for, Jesus is the one who gives you what it's truly longing for. And so you need to process the reality of what you're after and the life Jesus gives because that legacy comes out of a life that only Jesus can give. And your heart wants it, whether you admit it or not. And I pray you search him out. We are called to live a legacy And that has to be a decision we make today, not at the end. Really quick, the last part of this, and we're not going to go through, we're going to do this really quick, but it's kind of interesting that Paul has this kind of really potent charge to Timothy, and then he mentions all these people. 
He's actually talking, and the idea of this is that we keep going by remembering those who have influenced our lives. And he mentions 17 people in here. I'm not going to read through all of them, but I'm just going to mention the types of people that are listed here. Uh, there's people who left for painful reasons. They deserted Paul. Uh, they, weren't, they, weren't, they just rejected him. There were people that left for understandable reasons. Some of them went on to different ministry opportunities and things like that. Luke was with him, a devoted ministry partner. Man, just think about Luke and Paul could talk about their ministry and time for Jesus. There was a restored friendship, the tension that Paul had early in his life with Mark, and now coming full circle at the end of his life, they're making amends. He had uh, devoted ministry partners, people that were part of doing the ministry with him. He had a, a one person, Alexander, who was a pain inflictor and an attacker. It's probably the reason why Paul is in jail and facing death now. He had Priscilla and Aquila, special longtime friends, uh, people who supported and championed him, more devoted ministry partners, but then also church family members, sisters, and good friends. The reason why I think this is an important list for us to see is that we all have this list. Every single one of us. You might not have every single thing on here, but this describes what life is like and the relationships that we have, and especially life in church. And so I think that there should be a little bit of freeing reality about, you know what, it's okay that I have to admit I have people like this. There have been people that have hurt me. I have seen people desert me. I have seen people who have done this. It's okay to acknowledge that. But it's also freeing because it helps us see, but this isn't all that it is. There's other people here who haven't been like that. So maybe that's the thing where this list challenges us is that if we're, all we're doing is focusing on one type of a person, we need to widen our perspective to see other types of people. Remember that the people on the list helps us realize that life is more than just a single moment. Because even though there's a really, really bad moment there, there's a lot of really good moments as well. It also helps us realize we're not alone. Because even though some people might desert or might leave for painful reasons, there are people who have stuck by and have tried to care. And it also helps us realize that God's hand is at work. Because even Paul, when he's talking about this Alexander who betrayed him and like basically is causing all his problems, he says, but I see how God is working through this. And so you have to ask yourself, who's on your list? And when I think about, kind of practically speaking, when I think about our church uh, this month it actually marks 10 years that I've been at New Life Lincoln Park. And so it's kind of a cool special month for me coming up in a couple of weeks. And I think about this list and I think about our church. I want to take this opportunity just to honor a couple of people really quick. And really, there's a lot of people that need to be honored and we're going to talk about that. But I want to make a special uh, moment to do that now. So I'm going to ask Ed and Hannah if they could come up here for a second. They had no idea I was doing this, so this awkwardness is great. Um, there's a little one back there. Okay. Okay. So Ed and Hannah have been um, at Lincoln Park since before I came to Lincoln Park. And so uh, they've been here quite a while. In fact, uh, there was one particular New Year's Eve that uh, we had a bunch of people over at our house and they were not dating at the time. And we played a game at that night and they were partners. And then after that, I kind of take that being at my house and playing that game started all of this. So uh, it was really good. But I wanted to point out and just acknowledge this last um, summer, we did a major renovation in the children's ministry. And uh, you, you've seen us talk about this. You heard us talk about this. I want to show you the reality of it. So here's what one of the rooms looked like beforehand. Here's what it looks like now. Yeah, that's the appropriate response. Thank you very much. 
Another picture, here's the same room, different angle. Here's what this looks like now. And <laughs> well done. Middle room, but we do want to give props for that awesome flooring there. Mark Condra, we want to make sure that we acknowledge the legacy. But here's what it looks like now. Another, another angle on it. Uh, that's the sidewall. Here's what it looks like now. And we have the O in there is modeling. And then I don't have any before pictures of the nursery, but here's what it looks like now, one side and then the other side. And so this was a major project, and there was a lot of people involved, but really the entire project, uh, the, mo the majority of the weight was on Ed and Hannah's shoulders. And so they met with the contractors, did a lot of design work, did a ton of the different work within it, and organized volunteers. I basically put a couple shelves together, said, yes, that looks awesome, and signed some papers. And so the majority of this, this would not have happened if the two of them didn't say, we need to make this happen, and then they made it happen. And so I just want to acknowledge that, just uh, how much work that they, yes. But, you know, the reality is that this is just kind of a, um, the next thing that, of how they always are. I mean, this is how they always are. And so for those of you who have been here, when you think of it in Hannah, what's the first word that comes to mind? Encourage them right now. Serving. Serving. You can pull your mask on and say it really quick. Faithful. Faithful. Commitment. And there's a lot more that we could say. I want to encourage you. We have some cards that people have signed already that Gabby has in the back. And so they're not going, they're not going anywhere. Um, but we have some cards in the back that a lot of people have signed. And so just encourage you, if you haven't signed those yet, as you leave later today, that um, you sign those. Um, but I just, I want to acknowledge um, how much I love you too. And, um, you know, I, the passage that's really meant a lot to me in this letter is the first part of the letter where he says, all these people abandoned me and these two people left, but man, there was this one person who really just was always there and refreshed me and supported me. And there's a lot of people in this church that I think of when I think about that one person, but I really think of you too. And I uh, just love you so much. And this church would not be what it is if it wasn't for these two. And um, it's only a small thing in comparison, um, but we have a date night prepared for the two of you. And so... <laughs> Uh, with, kid, with babysitting already arranged. And so we're giving you a four-star night, date night. And Dave and I have ideas of what that would look like, but we also know that we want you to do what you want. And so we'll share with you what we came up with, and then you can adjust it within what we did. Um, and if there's anything you didn't like, Dave picked it up. Um, and, <laughs> and so I think that, you know, when Paul mentions names like this, uh, this is the kind of reality. And so can we hear it for this couple? And just thank you. I was trying to figure out the timing of that, but then realizing Kyle's singing on the last song, I'm like, all right, we'll do it before the last song. You know, when you think about this list of names and you think about your Christian life, to use that phrase, who can you encourage and who can you say thank you to? Because I guarantee that word, that text, that email will put the wind in their sails 
for weeks, months, and years. And so um, acknowledge the people that bring pain and work through that and bring that to the Lord and process that, but acknowledge the people that have done the opposite and celebrate that. And that's what we wanted to do this morning. And so in that, I want to just challenge you. I don't know what the thing is that you're going through, but I know you need to be faithful to Jesus within it. I don't know what the next couple weeks or couple months or couple years of your life or my life holds. But I know that even though we're unsure of that, we should be sure of the fact that we want to look at it and face it and say, but I want it to point to Jesus. And if we can just simplify it to that, we'll hear well done. And that's the goal. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you for the many faithful people that have uh, given to this place and carried this place and served in this place. And we're just grateful for the fact that you're working in us, amongst us, and through us. And God, we just pray that you would continue to make our church more and more in your image. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, Just stay with us. We're gonna close with this last song. I think it's really appropriate we think about getting, going through our lives, leaving a legacy for Jesus, being faithful one day at a time. This song.